Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Christopher Gunty of Catholic Review Media. For this edition of Catholic Baltimore, we recently sat down with Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lurie to talk about repentance, remorse, and reform in the Church in the wake of accusations of sexual misconduct that surfaced about Archbishop Theodore McCarrick, former Archbishop of Washington, who resigned from the College of Cardinals July 27th. Archbishop Lurie had issued a statement July 30th in which he called for accountability for all in the Church, including bishops, and pledged his continued diligence to ensure the safety of everyone in the care of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. In your statement, you said that as a bishop, you are shaken and humbled by the recent events in the church, especially around the allegations that have surfaced about Archbishop Theodore McCarrick, who was Archbishop of Washington. How does this kind of news affect people who have been victims of sexual abuse by somebody in the church? Every time new allegations surface, I would be quite certain that it opens old wounds in the minds and hearts and souls of those who have been victimized by clergy or by others representing the church. But in the case of someone as prominent and as high profile as Archbishop McCarrick, I think it, it wounds even more deeply. Uh, it shocks people more deeply. It shakes them more deeply, but particularly those who have already been wounded. I myself experienced um, anger, anguish, grief over all of this, and I can only imagine what this means for someone who is suffering the results of sexual abuse in their lives on a long-term basis. How do you think these allegations affect the people in the pews? All of us are dedicated to spreading the gospel, evangelizing, building up our parish communities. Uh, and those efforts of evangelization hinge on the credibility of the church and the credibility of the church's ministers. To learn that someone as high profile as Archbishop McCarrick or others have been sort of leading, if you will, a double life undercuts the credibility of the church. It causes people to have even more questions. Uh, it undercuts the credibility of the church's efforts uh, to address the sexual abuse uh, crisis. Trust is a very, very important thing in all areas of life, but it is particularly important in the life of faith. And so I would say our efforts to rebuild trust and credibility have been dealt a setback. This is not the first time in the history of the church this has happened, not the first time in the history of the church that powerful, high-profile church leaders have behaved in a truly scandalous way. The church, in God's grace, has always found a way to go forward. I'm confident we will again, but this is certainly 
uh, a severe setback, and I deeply, deeply regret it. Is that why it's even more important for us as Catholics not to put our faith in a particular person, a particular minister, but really to put our faith in the Lord, who is the church? St. Paul makes it pretty clear that it's, it's, it's not Paul, it's not Cephas, it's not this one, it's not that one, it's Christ Jesus. We are ministers. We carry about the gospel in earthen vessels. And all of us who are ministers of the gospel, all of us who are followers of Christ, are people who are flawed and sometimes deeply flawed. Um, the Lord loves us. The Lord tries to draw us to himself. I think that our faith is not in a particular priest or bishop or other minister of the church, no matter how beloved that person might be. But the flip side of it is those of us who represent the church have an obligation genuinely to be on the road of holiness, genuinely to be struggling with our weaknesses in God's grace like everybody else is, and genuinely to be credible by striving to live what it is we proclaim. Will 2018 be another turning point for the church in dealing with sexual misconduct of clergy and employees like 2002 was? 2002 was certainly a, a turning point. Uh, it was a moment when we put a cornerstone in place. And that cornerstone is this, that the sexual abuse of a minor or a young person is not to be tolerated in the life of the church. One strike and you're out. And we've made some progress in the last 16 years. I can speak especially to the Archdiocese of Baltimore. One of the things I discovered coming here six years ago was how seriously this has been taken. Strong policies implemented with consistency, a great independent review board, uh, a, a willingness to be open, transparent, as well as a willingness to keep checking ourselves and asking ourselves, what have we missed? Um, and a willingness to try to our best ability and to reach out to victims and to try to bring a measure of peace and healing where we can, knowing that no matter what I do or say, no matter what my colleagues try to do, we'll probably never really be able to heal those wounds. We pray God will. What we find out, though, and what I found out in my long experience is this is a much harder thing to get a hold of than ever we thought. Part of it is because the behavior itself is hidden. The perpetrators hide it, and the victims feel shame and reticence to come forward, and they're not always sure they can report with confidence. And so we are constantly learning, and it's certainly become apparent over time that hard as we've worked on this, our policies and procedures have blind spots, shortcomings, and it's incumbent upon us to address those. Uh, 
the National Conference of Catholic Bishops can address them in part to the limit of their authority. Local dioceses, including our own, can strengthen at least our reporting policies to make sure that people can report with even greater confidence. But we're also going to have to work with the Holy See to develop a very clear, transparent process by which bishops are held as accountable as anybody else is in the church if and when they, they offend against a child or a young person or mishandle allegations of sexual abuse. So you think that the bishops will be looking to make some changes in the charter and in both protection of children and vulnerable adults as well as accountability of bishops? The bishops will be reviewing changes already to strengthen the charter and the norms. These have been in the works for quite some time. What we have to do is to work with the Holy See to develop that clear process by which bishops will be held as accountable as anybody else in the life of the church when it comes to sexual abuse. We are talking with Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lorry about repentance, remorse, and reform in the wake of sexual scandals in the church. After the break, the Archbishop will talk about the possibility for changes in the way bishops are disciplined if they are accused of sexual misconduct or of mishandling accusations of misconduct within their diocese. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Archbishop William E. Lorry, Supreme Chaplain of the Knights of Columbus, welcomed the Knights' national and state leadership to Mass at the Baltimore Basilica August 4th. The celebration came as several thousand Knights were preparing for their 136th annual convention August 7th through the 9th at the Baltimore Convention Center. The convention's theme was Knights of Charity. Prior to the Basilica Mass, in a private moment with little fanfare, Supreme Knight Carl Anderson presented the Archdiocese of Baltimore with a $1 million gift from the Knights for a new Catholic elementary school to be built on Baltimore's west side. If all goes well, the Archdiocese will open in 2020, the first new Catholic school in the city in nearly six decades. The Archbishop announced plans in April for the project. It will serve as the new home for Holy Angels Catholic School, currently operating on the campus of the former Seton Keogh High School. The new school will be a beacon of hope for the children and families of the west side of Baltimore City, said Kathleen Filippelli, principal of Holy Angels. Archbishop Lurie is filling a void that has existed there for many years. He is following the gospel message of Jesus Christ to serve the poor. For more on this story and for more on the Knights Convention in Baltimore, visit catholicreview.org. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit has ruled against the Archdiocese of Washington in a dispute over the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority's rejection of its ads for buses. The appeals court said in a July 31st decision that the Transit Authority's rule against issue-oriented ads, which includes ads of a religious nature, did not violate the First Amendment. The Washington Archdiocese wanted to place ads promoting its annual Find the Perfect Gift initiative for the Advent season last year. It included a link to parish resources, a way to order holy cards and religious videos and reflections. The ad also included the outline of a nativity scene. The Transit Authority declined to allow the ad, quote, because it depicts a religious scene and thus seeks to promote religion, 
according to a report in Catholic News Service. For more on this story and others, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matasek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. The season of sacraments is nearly here. First Holy Communion, Confirmation, and Weddings. Visit the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral, and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs. From beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses, statues and one-of-a-kind rosaries, the Basilica gift shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish and everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for hours and directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. We are continuing our conversation with Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lurie about repentance, remorse, and reform in the church. In light of the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People, which was passed by the U.S. bishops in 2002. Just before the break, the Archbishop said the U.S. bishops have been working already on ways to strengthen the Charter. Is the fact that the disciplining of bishops is reserved to the Holy See, is that one of the reasons why back in 2002 when this was drafted that it didn't, that bishops were not specifically uh, referred to in there? I was on the drafting committee and uh, I remember those discussions. I can assure you that we did not regard ourselves as bishops as being unaccountable. This was not an attempt to pass a law and then to exempt ourselves. We understood that including bishops in this would mean that these things, which needed the approval of the Holy See, would not get the approval of the Holy See. We also expected fully, as I do now, that the Holy See holds each of us bishops accountable for what we do, and that we serve at the pleasure of the Holy Father. Do you think the Holy See will be more receptive to changes now? We've seen a lot of change in the Holy See uh, over the years. So when we passed the Charter and the Norms back in 2002, a small delegation of us, there were four of us, I was one, went over to ensure that uh, the Charter, and especially the norms, which 
it's actually legislation, would receive the approval of the Holy See. Well, there was a lot of opposition in the Holy See, even to what we passed. And so we went over and we had several days of fairly difficult meetings. It was very interesting that uh, the one who really helped us accomplish the approval of these documents was Cardinal Ratzinger and the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. They were really very, very helpful in this uh, process. Over time, I think the Holy See has recognized that this is a much larger problem in the life of the Church. And in more recent times, we have certainly seen uh, Pope Francis uh, learning how to deal with this on a worldwide basis. He too has had a learning curve, but you see vigorous response, whether it's the Chilean bishops, whether it's what the Pope did in the case of Archbishop McCarrick, and, and, and conceivably will do, uh, whether when, when you look at what happened at Adelaide in Australia with Archbishop Wilson, you see a great willingness on the part of Pope Francis to be open and transparent about this. And uh, I think that inspires confidence in all of us. And, and I'm, I'm grateful to the Holy Father for his leadership. Some dioceses have had policies about sexual misconduct of clergy well before 2002. Though the church has done a lot more in the last 15 years or so, why hasn't that been perceived as being enough? The Archdiocese of Baltimore is one of those dioceses that had sexual abuse policies well before 2002. Let me say something else, and, and here we've got work to do, and that's the moral and spiritual dimensions of this. Until and unless we truly repent of this evil in the life of the church, we haven't gotten hold of it. I think sometimes we think we have repented of something, and we really haven't or at least not to a sufficient degree. This is something especially bishops need to do personally in their own life of prayer, their own life of penance. They, we, we really need, I need to repent of this. I'm not speaking for anybody else, but I think we need to do it as a body of bishops. Serious, ongoing repentance. And the more it strikes home how truly evil this is, the more motivation we're going to have to do a lot better job in taking care of all the dimensions of this. St. Paul, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, describes two kinds of repentance, and we know this in our lives. There's the one kind that says, I'm sorry for my shortcomings and my evil doing, because it has bad consequences because it brings bad things into my life and into the life of the church. You know, if you love the church and you're trying to sustain the church's ministry, that kind of repentance is, is there. But the deeper repentance is, this is just so contrary to the gospel, so contrary to everything that the Lord ever taught us, so contrary to who we are and who we should be that we just have to be 
deeply contrite. When I said in my statement that my heart uh, is rent, um, I meant that in the biblical sense, in the sense of Psalm 51, a broken, contrite heart. Um, humility is part of being a Christian. Someone once said, I think Pope Francis said this, can't be humble unless you're humiliated. And we've all had humiliation in life, but we bishops ought to be genuinely humiliated over what has happened. And that genuine sorrow and contrition and recognition of the enormity of this evil ought to be what motivates us going forward to keep the commitments we have made, to keep them well and wisely and persistently, to teach and preach about this, and also to do what else has to be done to address this. Will we ever do it perfectly? I wish I could tell you we will. We will not. Any more than we do anything else perfectly. Archbishop Lori, do you have any closing thoughts on this situation? I've been a priest 41 years, and I've been a bishop 23 years. And um, I've dealt for a long time, probably since the mid-90s, with this whole issue of sexual abuse in the life of the church. And the most eye-opening thing for me has been to meet with victims, to talk with victims, to try to listen to them, to try to understand and appreciate the experience that they had and the, the ongoing suffering which this has brought about in their life. Once when I first began to deal with this, visiting with a number of victims all in a row, all in one day, and when the last person had left, I went back to my office and sat down at my desk and suddenly found myself weeping because it began a little bit in that moment to dawn on me what this is. And so when I offer my sincere apology as a person, as a minister of the church, as Archbishop of Baltimore, uh, it's not just an institutional apology. It's not just something that I say because it's got to be said. It's something I say from my heart. It's something that I say from experience. I ask forgiveness. I ask the forgiveness of God. I ask the forgiveness of those with whom I work and whom I'm privileged to serve. But most of all, I ask the forgiveness of any and all who have been victimized by a bishop, by a priest, or by anybody else that represents the church. And I simply ask your prayers that hard as we may have tried in the past to deal with this, we might deal with it a whole lot better going forward. Thank you for your prayers. We've been talking today with Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lurie about repentance, remorse, and reform in the church 
and about the Archdiocese's commitment to ensure the protection of everyone in the care of the Church. This is Christopher Gunty of Catholic Review Media, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.